Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself. And thank you also for rating it five stars on iTunes. If you have not done that yet, go to iTunes. Not only rate it five stars, leave a comment. I love the comments. It really helps the podcast to grow and reach more listeners because then iTunes will... Uh, uh, you know, promote us more and then we can reach and help and save the lives of more people out there in the world. I want to say hello to my listeners in Indonesia. I, I was checking it out, looking at my stats. I got people in Indonesia listening in. So I appreciate that. And thank you for being here again. It showed up another day. We got another episode. I'm super excited. It's raining right now in L.A. Uh, which is wonderful. I, I wish it would rain more. I like the, the climate uh, differences. Um, on today's episode, we have a doozy for you. Uh, my buddy Matt McCoy uh, from Headstrong, and this is an organization that helps military vets transition uh, into uh, civilian life and, 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 and deal with their PTSD, uh, the, any sexual abuse, any childhood traumas, any moral injuries, any, any guilt, uh, survivor's guilt, things along that nature. It links vets and, uh, with free mental health care. They link them directly with therapists. They're like the Uber of, uh, of, of mental health. Uh, they're getting you straight to the source. You don't have to pay anything, nothing out of pocket. And uh, they have, uh, because people, have, they've been very uh, great at uh, raising money from grants and, and, and uh, receiving donations so that they can do this. And they've helped uh, almost 2,000 vets get free mental health care, uh, over 50,000 sessions uh, total. And, um, and they're just going to blow up. And I'm really excited about this model of, of helping uh, vets because then it's something that I'm sure could be used with other demographics, whether it's athletes uh, or just the general population. There's so many people who uh, uh, need health care and don't have access to it for one reason or the other. Uh, this is a way to fill the gap. For that, uh, but Matt also shares uh, his own story, and he talks about how EMDR, eye movement uh, desensitization, uh, rapid, rapido, uh, whatever the R, I forget what the R is, uh, how much that's helped for him in therapy, and how to use that. Um, he talks about um, how to how to alleviate the, uh, the stigma around talking about suicide and how to take the pressure off of yourself. He also shares a very interesting way in which his girlfriend helps him uh, sleep at night. And for those of you who are struggling with sleep, you definitely uh, want to listen to that because it's something that uh, we, we all should be doing. And, uh, and so it's very interesting when we get into that. Um, we also talk about how Headstrong helps to remove the barriers to care, right? There's so many barriers out there for us to receive care that uh, we want to remove. The, and then he shares his own personal journey of uh, being getting married 
because he said that's the thing that all the people in the uh, military do. All the all the men they get married, and then uh, that's and at a young age because they're going into the the, the service, uh, and then they get a divorce uh, as they when they get out. And so he talks about how he's able to transition from married life to single life, and uh, and and also. Uh, struggling with uh, his uh, moral injury, or his not moral injury, but uh, survivor's uh, guilt. Um, and he would talk about, you know, he, he boxes. You know, this is a guy who has, has lived a life and, and how his uh, new wounds rub against old wounds. And that's what really, when we talk about military vets, we just think about the trauma they've incurred in the military. But really, a lot of vets have trauma that stem from their childhood. So they, uh, they talk about the new wounds rubbing against the old wounds. And I'm sure a lot of you can relate to that and how do we handle that. So uh, we're going to get into a lot of stuff. And, and this is going to be a very powerful episode. I appreciate you uh, all listening in. And once again... Uh, subscribing and sharing. Sharing is the best way to uh, to show thanks and appreciation. And, and just, if, you know, one person, just one person share it. Drop it in their uh, inbox or their, their text message or, you know, we're on Spotify, iTunes, all those different things. Um, wow, a marathon to get better. I Stay tuned for that part of the episode. I, I thought that was very powerful way of talking about the approach to mental health care, how it's not a sprint to get better. We all are trying to get better today, right now. But really, uh, it's about having a, a marathon runner's approach to getting better, being in it for the long haul. So thank you for tuning in. I hope that you're journaling, you're exercising, you're reading, you're meditating, you're doing your self-talk, you're doing your germs on a daily basis. Click through your progressions, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, it's wild. How long you been doing stand-up? Honestly, bro, only two years. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't try to, like, deceive anybody. Like, I, I get a lot of cool opportunities out here in New York. So yeah. I do, um, you know, Gotham and some of the bigger clubs but i'm still doing a lot of bringer shows and stuff like that so um hey it, it, you got to start somewhere man and adam ray is such a great guy you're gonna learn so much from him yeah yeah he's, he's been really cool about the whole process so i'm looking forward to it how old are you matt i'm 34. 34 man man and uh what made you start uh stand up at the at 34. yeah man i just i always wanted to do stand up I think I just always had so many other things that I was uh, involved in and chasing, especially with boxing. So I've, I've boxed for 15 years um, and, and I was chasing like that whole Olympic dream. And um, like this, was, you know, I was doing all that before I got married and then I got married. And then before that dissolved and fell apart, I mean, my whole life was boxing. So but I always had like this draw to the stage and like wanted to perform. Like even when I would come out to fights, mm. I remember one time I came out as Michael Jackson, the thriller. Like I was like doing all that shit a lot before any of these guys were doing this shit. Or, you know, I was doing this in like 2002. <laughs> like, you were, you were entertained, like you had an entertainment yeah. aspect to it, you know? Exactly. 
Exactly. So I was entertaining and doing all that stuff for a long time. I always knew like I had this draw to stage, but you know, where I come from in, in the Midwest, where I was born and raised, like there's not that opportunity a lot of times. So you gotta, it's hard to harness that or like know what to do or go with it. So right, um, right. then once I kind of came out to New York, I was like, all right, well, I have no excuse and I can finally kind of do the stuff that I've always wanted to do. Yeah. Where are you from originally? I'm from Missouri originally. Oh, wow. Country. Yeah. Definitely not a lot of, opportunity in Missouri no not at all and actually it's funny I was just talking to Nikki I was on a show with Nikki Glazer uh-huh. who's from St. Louis mm-hmm. outside of St. Louis a little bit and um we were talking about that and making fun of that because there's really no opportunities I mean there's only like a handful of clubs in St. Louis in yeah in Kansas City which is close to me in St. Joe um so like yeah there just wasn't that many opportunities whereas like you come out to to New York and I can perform you know four different clubs a night as long as I'm leaving one and going straight to another so Right. The opportunities out there. Yeah. Um, so you, you're 34. You're married. Divorced now? Divorced now, yeah. Any kids? No. No, no, no. That's uh, how long were you married for? I was married for four years. Four years? You said it dissolved. That, that's a great way to put it. What, what did you mean? <laughs> that's a nice way to put it, right? <laughs> Compared to what I wanted to say. Um, no, what happened was I did the typical military thing where, like, you meet a girl, uh, you get, like, involved, and then you get married quick. Like, that's everyone knows that's the status quo for, for military guys. So, uh, unfortunately, I fell into that as well and got married to this chick that was wild. And yet again, that's a nice way to put it. Um, but, and then, you know, I stuck through that. We did it for four years, and then I was like, finally, I was like, peace. And like I had to leave, so I got out of that, and then um, and made my eventually made my way out here to New York. Yeah, you know the the, the thing about um, you know I, I'm always going to compare uh, not to compare playing football to your experience in the military at all, but um, the in terms of mindset, you know they they both teach the same thing in terms of loyalty, commitment, don't quit, stick with it. And those are great concepts, uh, how, unless you're in a, a, a relationship or marriage <laughs> with, yeah. with someone who was wilding out, you know. Right, right, right. And to to tie to tie it in for both of us, you know, I was in a in a relationship also. I wasn't married, but my my girl uh, was doing some wild stuff, uh, and I was like, at what point do you break the commitment? At what point is yeah. Are you too loyal? Like that, nobody talks about that. Everybody right, right, talks right. about be loyal, but everything has a. And Jocko Willink, I'm sure you listen to yeah. uh, his podcast. You know, he has that book called um, uh, Extreme Ownership, mm-hmm. and he was talking about how you know if you're a leader, you take ownership for everything that happens with you and your team. And yeah. the guy in the interview was like, "Yeah, but at what point?" Are these guys screwing up so much that you got to cut one of them loose? You know, like at what point is it too much for you to take the responsibility? And he said, when they become a threat to the team, that's cut them loose. And that's how I started to see her. I was like, oh, you're a threat to. Yeah. Well, like the overall goal of like what you want to do in life, because sometimes, you know, they don't, you get with the person they know you for who you are originally, but then we all grow, we all, you know, start to get in a different route. I think that's the biggest thing in like a lot of relationships. If you're not growing together or 
you know, if you start to go separate ways, then that's when a lot of times you got to cut that shit because, you know, that's what ultimately kind of happened where I was like, I started wanting to do comedy. I started wanting to do this stuff, but like she would get mad that I was going out and doing all this stuff. So like I was when I noticed I was having to put my dreams and like the shit that I wanted to do on the back burner, I was like, okay, this is no longer good for me. Or no longer scares me. So I was like, I, you know, I'm out. What uh so let's get into this headstrong uh organization that you and um uh Dustin, right? Mm-hmm. Also found. Yeah. Can you talk to us about uh, what the what the Headstrong organization is about, and and I guess more point like why you even got it started? Yeah. So like, here's the thing about Headstrong is that like there's a gap, you know, in the in the time that people get out of the service, and then the time that they become uh, what quote unquote civilians or whatever the fuck you want to call it. Like where people go through this transition, and it's a really hard thing for everybody, no matter how much you're set up to transition out of the military, you never quite know what you're getting into. Um, and that's the reason that you see this epidemic that really started with suicide in terms of like, I don't know if you know your, your viewers are familiar with the stats around this, but outside of just what happens in the normal day-to-day, um, you know, civilian and, and society in general, uh, veterans themselves are, are they say there's a suicide epidemic that is they're killing themselves at an even larger rate than what's going on in society. And the statistic that the VA came out with last year was that there's 22 a day, which if you think about that over the course of, you know, 365 days, that's an inordinate amount of people. And that includes, you know, active duty service members too, I should say, but right. you know, that's an inordinate amount of people, especially for a, um, the military, which is is just a one percent, only one percent of people actually serve in the military. So then you think about that and add that into the fact that twenty two a day are are dying to suicide. Like that's exactly what the word epidemic means. Like it, it truly is an epidemic. So, wow. um, you know, headstrong in in the way that we're combating this is that we're providing what we call cost free, stigma free, bureaucracy free access to mental health treatment, and that can be no matter what your uh, symptoms are, whether it's PTSD, whether it is military sexual trauma, whether it's childhood drama that was only exasperated by going in the military and, and going to war, whatever it may be, we, we treat that. So, um, you know, I think we, we take out all the barriers to care, uh, you know, in terms of people a lot of times can't get this care that they need because they're worried about the cost or they're worried about, the logistics of accessing care. So what we do is we we put together what we call like, you know, an Airbnb or Uber-esque model in terms of like we're direct we're directly linking veterans who need care with therapists in their area. So they don't have to drive two hours to get care like they did at like some of these VAs or what have you. Um, so we match people within their area and then it's at a cost-free rate. So really we take out, like you said, all the barriers to getting care for people who, who want to get better. How do you do that? Uh, Cause I saw that you're in a lot of uh, major States, you're not in all 50 States yet. Right. But you're, you're in, uh, I think like 15. Yeah. So we're seven. I'm going to say 17 different provinces okay. in 25 cities. Okay. Um, however, when I, I say, I'm reluctant to exactly nail it down to 25 cities because 
it's not so we say we're in Chicago, right? right. But it, we also help people around, you know, that fifty mile plus radius. So gotcha. I mean we could claim a ton of cities. Absolutely, right? absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So like you so, know, yeah, so how are you guys linking? How are you guys doing that? So the way we do that is like we reach out to the therapists that are within that area. And when we identify a city that has a large volume population or a large need, then we reach out to therapists within that city and you know we go over our model um a lot of times uh we go over like how we pay we're going to pay them their fair market rate whatever they're making with their other clients and it's really a um it's an it's an easy decision for them i would say because what's what we found even is that we're going into markets and we we're in the dc market right now and we have a therapist who her entire clientele is veterans that we've sent her so you know like it's a no-brainer really for them to want to work with us if they're get as long as they're getting their fair market rate and we're, we're providing them clients like there's no marketing on their part right. so it's really easy sell for us once we've identified the city that we want to go to uh the therapist that we want to work with because we're not just going to work with any therapist right we work with just the only the best what we call the best in class clinicians um and we identify that by uh a lot of the um stuff that they have, like within their resume um, right. to include EMDR, which is a, a treatment that we're very um, big on at Headstrong. Okay, I, so yeah, because I saw that, uh, I watched uh, the trailer for Headstrong uh, on your website. Yeah. Uh, it was very powerful. I actually have a couple questions about the trailer, but uh, they did mention EMDR in the trailer. Can you talk mm-hmm. about what that is and then why it's so powerful for veterans uh, cope dealing with suicide and, and trauma? Yeah, so, you know, this is a clinical question, uh, for, but I'm going to do my best to, to, um, to explain it because I, sh- I should, I should um, probably uh, uh, tell you. So, like, we have partnered with Will Cornell Medicine, okay. and in partnership with them, you know, that's our clinical portion of it, and they've devised, like, the whole program. And then what I do on the Headstrong side is more of just, like, like I said, identifying cities, uh, clinicians that we can – partner with and how we can market our model and stuff like that. So I'm more of like on the business side of things. Gotcha. To, to briefly give you a, a, a little bit about what our clinical side does is so they themselves have identified EMDR as like one of the better treatments. And I'm probably more qualified to even talk about this actually um, being that I've gone through the program myself. Um, and so that's kind of how I, I can get that later about how I actually came to the program and work with it. But it started through being a client and um and i've used emdr so i i'm I'm very high on this but essentially what it is i guess in most basic way to to word it is that you know there's a lot of different treatments out there and some of them are hard for veterans to take because you know you have to really deal with these the hardest memories that you have in your past and it forces you to relive them whereas emdr is more of a smoother uh form of of allowing vets to deal with that and what i mean by that is you have this machine and in each hand you hold a paddle and these paddles help you to process the memory or the trauma in your brain and process it so that it goes from right brain to left brain and um so it what it does is it, it removes the feeling it doesn't mean that you'll you'll never you'll forget about 
the things that you went through, but it removes the feeling and that that revolves around the trauma and helps you to process it so that you no longer react. So like for, I'll give you an example. So somebody who say they went overseas and they were part of an IED explosion, that, that becomes a traumatic memory, right? So through EMDR treatment and therapy, you're able to process that. So now when you ride in the back of say an Uber and you hit a pothole, you don't have that flashback in your, in, you know, in all, in your body gets paralyzed with fear uh, because you think you're back in the war zone. You've now processed that and you're feeling and you understand that, oh, I'm back home. Like, I, like I'm not in that situation any longer. And you no longer have that reaction or that feeling to uh, some of these memories and traumas that you've gone through. It makes a lot of sense. It's, it's kind of like what happens when I uh, when you meditate, right? Because yeah. part of meditation is to be able to hold the thoughts, to hold the the events and experiences from your past without uh, reacting to it emotionally. And, and so yeah. it's a way of detaching, almost like when you're juicing, it's like you're removing the fiber and mm-hmm. it, it, so you're separating the thought yeah. from the emotion. Yeah. Uh, and so EMDR for people who uh, have never heard of it stands for uh, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Yes. Uh, That's a mouthful. Say that four times fast. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but you said you've been through it before. What was your uh, what what brought you into therapy, and what made you get into the program? Yeah, so a lot of mine was. You know, and that's why I say, like, you can come into the program for a variety of things, whether it's PTSD, military sexual trauma, moral injury, which you're starting to see more now with, like, pilots who fly drones. You said uh, moral injury? Yeah, what we call moral injury. So it's, like, people who aren't directly in, like, the line of fire, but say they're driving a drone, they're flying a drone, and that drone drops a bomb on a certain area within Afghanistan you've in a way taken or or you've done your job but there's a loss of life that you have to still deal with and that's why i say it's a moral injury if that makes sense wow yeah Yeah. so you start to see that and so mine specifically wasn't any of those it was more just about the um it was about dealing with the fact that of my service wasn't uh what i what i wanted it to be uh, and what I mean by that is that, like, I had a lot of friends that went overseas, and I went overseas, obviously, but I was not one of those people who was impacted. But I saw people who had lost their limbs, um, uh, who lost their life. Um, so I'm dealing with the fact that uh, it's like a, a survivor's remorse or like a, a guilt. Survivor's guilt, yeah. 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 Um, uh, um, dealing with that so that's you know that got me into the program and then on top of like some stuff that I went through with my childhood and growing up so you know what we say is old wounds rub against new wounds and then you have this like friction that that causes and and, and, you know it it came out in a variety of ways like anger and, and like obviously you know with my background in combatives like that's just how I dealt with problems so which is fine when you're in a ring, but you know, when you're outside of a Denny's at four in the morning, you're trying to fight people like, like <laughs> shit, is, shit is not tolerated by society. So, you know, these are all issues that I had to, 
to work on and, and through therapy and stuff like that, uh, it's been really helpful. Wow. The, um, you know, so with the EMDR, uh, first of all, thank you for sharing that. I know, you know, to, to sometimes talk about this stuff uh, uh, is, is, is very powerful and sensitive. For th so thank you for, for doing yeah. that. Um, the, um, but along with the EMDR, how did, what were some of the strategies or techniques that were specific to you that helped you move through that survivor's guilt. And the reason why I asked that, I talked to another vet who also experienced uh, survivor's guilt. He had a moral injury. Um, well, and I actually say moral, I don't know if you would call it moral injury, but he was uh, like a tech staff, you know, like he was over there, but he was like, he was an IT guy doing the computer stuff. Yeah. He was a photographer, yeah. things like that. So right. back with that. And one of the interesting things his therapist uh, recommended was that he moved close to a train station because he needed noise in order to make himself feel calm because uh, the trucks that were going by, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, so that, that's something that like, you're not going to find in a book, you know, you're not going to yeah. find that on the internet on how to deal with yeah, you know, yeah, something yeah. specific to him. Were there, was there, was there any strategies or, or coping techniques that were specific to you that, that you incorporated? Yeah, I think so. I think mine was really just dealing like with initially with what um, some of the things like you see. Because, um, like I said, so to, I just want to be as like upfront and honest with everybody, and I don't have a problem talking about this. So, like, I was a glorified um, UPS man when I was over there, right? I'm receiving inbound packages and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, I do have friends who were going out and be on the wire and dealing with this stuff. And then, so when I'm volunteering at the hospital on my a day, like you work six days, uh, 12, six hour days, but on my off time on that seventh day when I'm at the hospital and then I'm seeing a lot of these guys come back um, and they're hurt or they're injured. Um, and you're seeing stuff that like normal people, you know, don't see or shouldn't have to see or deal with. And, and I'm just thankful I didn't have to deal with that, right? But to still see this, like, it's still impacting me. So, um, you know, but in terms of, like, how I've dealt with it, it's just, like, crossing, like, I wasn't there and there's nothing that I can do outside of what I did to try to help in the hospital, which is, like, you know, when you're volunteering at the hospital, right, this isn't, you're not putting files away and, like, you know, not doing anything. Like, you're literally gloving up. And I was, like, sanitizing, like, the patients and stuff as they came in. Wow. Um, Yes, like I was pretty hands on with some of the stuff. So, um, but a lot of it came down to me uh, realizing that not only, you know, I couldn't, I had no way impacted like what happened to them or, or what they went through. The only impact that I can make was in that moment and just realizing that I did the most that I could, um, you know, to help them in that moment over, overseas. And then, uh, separately, you know, some of the stuff that I went through as a kid, um, you know, I had to realize that 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 was the kind of stuff that happened to me, and I didn't ask for that. You know, it, what happened to me uh, happened to me because of just the environment that I was in, and that it wasn't um, my fault. Uh, and so, really, it was just getting to a place. I wouldn't say there was any one. This is a long-winded answer, but like, it wasn't just one specific thing. Like the EMDR helped. 
like the, the consistently going to appointments and talking through like these feelings and, and and realizing that hey this isn't my fault or this isn't you know I didn't ask for this or deserve this it, it happened because it happened um, it was more of just like the it wasn't a sprint to get better it was like a marathon to get better right and so are you still uh, I like that a marathon to get better is that something that are you still going to therapy yeah I actually yeah so yeah I'm pretty like I said I'm gonna be honest with you throughout this whole thing but yeah I'm still in therapy even right now. How often do you go? I go once a week. And that's the, and through the program, uh, you know, we, we pay for uh, the veterans that are in it. And right now, you know, we've treated 1,500 veterans, um, and I'm one of them. But, uh, yeah, they're, they're allowed to go once a week. And, um, you know, I don't miss an appointment. I, I go every week, uh, and I found that it helps. And uh, I'm, like, a big proponent, especially coming from, in Missouri, where it's there's still a stigma that you don't need to get help, or you just deal with that. You fucking push that down. You suppress that, and you be a man. And like now, I'm here in New York, where your therapist has a therapist, and maybe you even go to two therapists yourself. So like, <laughs> it's more accepted out here. Right, right. Um, yeah. So it's like, yeah, you know, it, it's helped a lot, and like it's helped me to like push me to the next level. What about? Uh, was your father in the military? So my stepdad was in the military. Your stepdad was in the military. Yeah, so he was in the National Guard. And, um, but I was completely against going in the military. I, I, I never wanted to go in the military. Yeah. And it wasn't until like I was at my lowest point in life, I was like, maybe we just re revisit this real quick. Let me see if, if this will help. Kind of get me in line. And um, so when I was, I actually went to the military later than most people. I went in, you know, a lot of people used to go going at 18. Uh, right. Well, that's what they want to do or, uh, you know, they feel this call to, to serve the nation. And I always admired that, but that just wasn't necessarily me. So I went in when I was 20, almost 21. I actually turned 21 in basic. And, uh, and uh, so it was later in life, but it took me actually getting down to like my lowest point to really join. So I'd like to say that I have more of a, uh, a patriotic sense for joining, but that's really the, the, the honest answer. How is, because you said there's a gap between uh, military service people who, when they get out and the treatment they receive, what, what, what does it typically look like? Yeah, so when you get out, here's the biggest thing, and this is, as somebody who's gone through this, um, you know, when you get out, you're transitioning out and you think you have some sort of semblance of what's gonna be like. And then you get out and you start to realize you don't know what resources are available. You don't know, um, you don't even know how to more or less sometimes live a, a normal day to day because life in the military is nowhere. I will not that it's so completely different than, but it is different. Yeah. You know, like there's these, you don't have to ask to go off base. <laughs> there's a lot of these freedoms that are allowed to you. And so when you're transitioning back, you know, you're starting to see, Oh, I can do this. I can do this. Or, um, you know, there's all these options for you, but you just don't know what it is sometimes. Mm. Um, and then you also get out with this false sense of confidence. I'll say that much too, where like, like, oh, I was in the military, you know, I was at war. Uh, what is, you know, working at JP Morgan Chase ain't nothing to me. Like I'll just, cause you know, you know, it's different when you're working in Iraq for 12 hour days, six days a week. And then JP Morgan Chase wants to hire you from nine to five and like make you push papers. So it's like, yeah. Like, I know for me specifically, 
like I don't, I don't want to talk for everybody but me specifically like I have this thing where like it's been like it's hard for me to go into an environment that's so calm and settling um or where they make a big deal out of fourth quarter reports after being in a place where your life's at risk so uh you know all that to say though like this transition is diff is difficult because it's just so different yeah and so um uh yeah it, it's just it's different and like you don't know what the resources are and i knew i wanted to get help as soon as i got out but i had never heard about headstrong until i moved out here to new york through a friend mm -hmm. and um that's really how i got involved with the program but to all those other people that are are you know transitioning out right now or have been transitioning out like that's my job within headstrong now is to reach those people and let them know about our program um through things like this on, on podcasts or through our marketing efforts or dealing with you know having this thing that we had with barstool that went viral recently so um it's really just spreading the word and letting people know about who we are and what we do uh what was the viral thing that that you're that you speak of yeah that was that was actually really cool um so there's a military podcast with viral called or sorry with barstool called um zero blog 30 uh -huh. and and it, it's run by three individuals who are uh, former military members themselves. And, uh, you know, they've worked with us on, on a couple of number of things in the past. And uh, one of them just happened chance said, I'm going to open up my Venmo this Veterans Day uh, for anybody who wants to donate. All of it's going to go to the Headstrong Project to help veterans get mental health treatment. Wow. And uh, he put that, and Dave Portnoy put all match. <laughs> he put all match, but I don't think he understood like how much stoolies what barstool uh, fans call themselves right, right. going to participate yes. so he says that right he tweets that and then before he knows it this thing's going to twenty seven thousand, fifty thousand, eighty thousand, and finally he had to reach out to the guys he's like all right cut this cap this at at 12 a.m because you have to fat check and it ended up being uh 91 000 is that what the uh, uh Barstool members and fans wow. donated, and then Dave wrote a check on top of that wow. uh, to donate to our organization as well. So uh, it was just really cool. But it, outside of the fact of the funding element of it, uh, was the awareness that was raised behind what we do. And so, you know, I'm on social watching us like blow up on Instagram and Twitter, and all this is really crazy. How did how how are you guys uh, able to pay the therapists? Like, where is the funding coming from primarily? Is it all donation based, or are there grants? Or yeah, so yeah, you know, we get grants. Um, you know, we just closed a grant with J.P. Morgan Chase recently. Um, uh, among there's a ton of other grants that we get from, from organizations, but uh, that's one that we recently closed. And then yeah, you know, it's these individual individuals that are you know donating this money to, to us on, on their behalf and then um you know we have a couple other things that we do strategic partnerships that we set up with, with corporations um different corporations throughout the u.s and then also um you know just philanthropic donors who are donating uh and then we do a, a gala each year um that we were just doing in new york city each year and then now we have one that we're going to be doing in D.C. every year after the success that we had with it uh, this past May. So uh, those are both, you know, so all back to say it's a variety of different ways that people can 
get involved and, and donate. Um, but that's really how we're raising the majority of the money. That's that's fantastic, man. Um, now, when you say uh, you know you don't know the resources, in, in my head, to me, it's like I always see like a one eight hundred veterans, one eight hundred military help, like. There are all yeah. these phone numbers that, to me, from outside of looking in, it seems like uh, finding out the resources and getting help is just like a phone call away. What's the gap? Like, why aren't the the vets linking up with? Because I, I would assume that there are there in the military and yeah, yeah. So, uh, just, just right off the bat. Uh, really, what it is, it's a stigma. So, the same way I said there was a stigma growing up to where I was from. Um, the stigma that's, that's still uh, that goes around in the military where, where guys are like, that's not for me. Uh, I'm stronger than that. Mm. And so really it's about these guys kind of pushing this off. And, you know, we find that a lot of people that come into our program come when they're at their wits end because they have tried pushing it off uh, for so long and that they're almost at their breaking point now and, and they finally – have to admit that they need help. So uh, a lot of it is a stigma, but also too, you know, it, a lot of it is just us really continuing to push that word and get it out there about what we do and who we are. And, um, you know, with that, you know, we're a relatively new organization um, in the sense that we started in 2012. So we've seen a lot of growth just in that amount of time. But obviously we, we realize there's a ton of growth that we still have to reach. So. Uh, it, you know, the word is spreading fastly through stuff like what we did with Barstool or uh, a big friend of ours, Jake Gyllenhaal, who on Veterans Day literally put up like 11 different posts in, in our honor. Um, and so we're starting to see all these people really help us spread the word because what happened initially was that it was just kind of word of mouth. And it's other vets like myself being like, hey, this helped me. Uh, you know, you should hey, John Doe, you should think about going and, and reaching out to Headstrong uh, so you can get help too because I know, you know we've talked in the past and, and you've talked about your struggle. So it was word of mouth for a while, but it, it's really starting to spread and really starting to get out there. But to answer your question, I, I really think it, it was a stigma and is a stigma uh, in terms of people not wanting to get help. The, you know, you go into therapists once a week. Are you doing any group therapy? What, what are you doing anything else supplement that to supplement the, cause you know, I, I, I've been to therapy and I've, <laughs> but man, those, those late night hours when you're by yourself or you can't sleep and, and you know, I think, uh, what is that? He called it the black dog, Winston Churchill. Yeah. Like, black dog, man is back, you know? Right. So, so, <laughs> So what what else are you, are you are you going to group? What else are you doing? Yeah, so yeah, there's group therapy which I participate in, um, and we have those in a lot of the locations that we're in. Uh, so it's available to people who, who want to take part in that. Um, and then we also have you know some one-off stuff in terms of like help to help people like in these areas who maybe they have addiction uh, issues that they're dealing with. So, uh, you know, we set them up with um, people who can help them with, uh, in terms of getting help, whether it's alcohol or, or what have you. Uh, so we have that that's accessible to people. Uh, certain areas we also have, um, we, we teamed up with partners who um, allow them to get back out there and really start doing some physical stuff because that helps as well. 
in terms of like dealing with like depression or, or yeah or whatever it may be you know uh, you know we allow them to kind of blow that steam off as well in that in that way as well so there's a, a couple of different ways that were um, allow people to to get the, the care that they want outside of just the mental health treatment right. but we feel like that's really like the core of it at the end of the day is if you're you're dealing uh, with some of your issues in the office with the therapist um, and then you're adding these other components as well on top of that then you really start to see some of the changes that that people want what do you do when you can't sleep like do you, yeah. you, i'm sure you're there have been nights where you can't sleep in the nightmares or the thoughts and stuff is or is this are there things that you and your therapist have come up with or it's funny that you say that because i really just started to incorporate this recently this is kind of embarrassing but like um uh, <laughs> so I have really hard time sleeping, um, on top of the fact that, you know, I have, um, sleep apnea, okay. uh, insomnia and some of that stuff that I'm dealing with. So like, for me, it's like kind of all compounds on one another. And, um, a lot of what I've been trying to do at night is like disconnect and like relax, uh, and not be so involved with like my phone or, um, you know, thinking about all these things. I have all these things, thoughts going in my head all the time with comedy and stuff like that, trying to write bits. So I really try to like decompress and like remove myself from like any distractions. And I laughed earlier because uh, one of the things I have been doing is my girl's been, uh, which she's been instrumental in me getting help and, and being willing to reach out and ask for help initially. But she's just been so supportive and and helping me like through everything and now it's to the point now where she's basically like telling me like uh lullabies at night now where she's like helping me <laughs> so, so i said this shit is so embarrassing but, like, <laughs> <laughs> so like uh <laughs> you know uh she's been uh <laughs> no she's not like lullabies that sounds uh, it sounds bad but like it's almost like my own uh personal um uh Bedtime story? Yoga instructor. Like, she's like, telling me, like, okay, like, relax your feet, uh, relax your mind, blah, blah, blah. Let your conscience be free. You're now rolling with the. No, but uh, she, she's just been really helping me with that um, in terms of just like relaxing at night. And that is dope. <laughs> that to like helping me get to sleep. But it's really been about like me trying to find like this relaxation point and disconnecting from everything. Yo, man, first of all, once again, thanks for sharing that because I know that, you know, that's an embarrassing thing. It's like, you know, it's not at all. I got to give her a props. She's doing it. She's not seeing anything on the back. There's no monetary things coming on her end for that. Yeah, yeah. At least shout her out, I guess, is the least I could do. That's dope, man. I mean, for you know, to find somebody that that, that loves and cares about you that much and and doesn't make you feel bad about it. Like, she's supportive and, uh, you know, just like, you know, you got to get to sleep. If you don't sleep, I don't, like, it's not good for the relationship. She's thinking about the team. So, yeah. so that's dope, man. Uh, that's so, I mean, I listen to like, uh, to thunderstorms sometimes. So, yeah. That, yeah. yeah. So I'll play that in the background. So, and it's, it's funny because I actually, I was talking about like, I, I was, I, I don't know why as adults, we don't, we aren't read bedtime stories. I mean, because when you think about it, that's really what we're watching. That's what TV is, right? right. 
It's we're yeah, watching, it is. Yeah, it's a grown ass. Yeah, we're watching a story. We're watching a story to help us fall asleep, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, why wouldn't you have your girl crack right. open the Dr. Seuss cat? Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Probably better than all that murder yeah, stuff. I was yeah, 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 yeah. In bed, then wondering why I couldn't sleep. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> better alternative to say the least. Do you um do you journal at all? Do you keep a journal or? Uh... You know what? I don't journal, but here's what I do. I I write so much for comedy, right. like purposes, like where I'm just trying to write sets or, or write out ideas that I have. That um, I find that is therapeutic, you know, in itself. Because while I'm not like maybe maybe getting in touch with like some of these deeper, darker things, I'm I'm working on that in other ways. So. Um, the fact that I am at least journaling and writing about something, even if it's just comedy, I feel like that does help. Right on, man. Um, and do you meditate? Say it again. Is that something that you do that you find it helpful? Uh, you know what? I journal on top of writing. Um, yeah. Writing to me, period, is therapeutic. It, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to um, uh, be this, like, I feel like blah, blah, blah. Um, when, I, when I watch TV, I take notes on what I'm watching. I watch documentary, I take notes on that, like whatever stood out. Sometimes I hear a word that uh, resonates for whatever reason, uh, yeah. I write that. So I'm always, I'm always taking notes. I don't think about it as journaling. I'm just, t- I'm taking notes on everything, you know? Yeah. And when I have time, uh, I'll just be like, let me just take some notes on the day so far. And it's interesting when you do that, um, the things that pop up in your head and the details that you missed or glossed over yeah. um, as you do it. So, yeah, to me, I always have my, always have a little notepad, a little the one that goes in my back pocket. I have my Microsoft Word on my laptop. I have a yellow, uh, like, as I'm talking to you, I'm taking notes. So I'm, I'm just constantly writing. I'm reading, I'm writing, I'm doing stuff, I'm taking whatever it is. Um, and I find that uh, that keeps my brain stimulated enough yeah. and keeps me detached enough from whatever happens so that uh, I don't get too wrapped up in a, right. a, a sand. Right. And that's why I ask because it's like, that's uh, a process that I, I use sometimes in, in terms of like writing is to like filter out thoughts or filter out emotions and stuff like that. So even if I'm doing it in a comedic way, it's still like beneficial. Right. And, and but I find that especially doing it um, uh, when I wake up in the morning, but right before bed is yeah. I, t- I just I, I write uh, 10 things, 10 notes from the day, whether it's, mm-hmm. you know, I ate such and such or I had a great workout or, uh, you know, don't podcast with, with Matt today. Like I just write out 10 things from the day and uh, and sometimes I get material from it. Sometimes I don't. But. I definitely feel uh, grounded and then ready to sleep. uh, You know? Right. Um, Is there anything that we haven't covered? Uh, You know, I know you have, you know, I I realized like when I watched that video, uh, there was a woman who talked about her experience. And I realized when I think about military vets, I really don't think about women. I always think men. And uh, you're, the video just froze. Are you still with it? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, um, sorry, sorry. Are there, have you seen any differences between what 
men are typically going to therapy for versus what women are? And I understand you're not a therapist or in the room, but. Yeah. No, that's a good question. Um, for sure. Yeah, because it, it is like, I don't know the exact stats um, behind what, what people are coming in the program for, you know, but um, a lot of it, I would say on women's, on the part of women is, military sexual trauma i think uh, I, I think that's a lot more prevalent than what people understand um i mean there's been some uh cases that have gone nationwide in, in, in some of these newspapers and stuff like that in terms of like real problems within some of these academies um whether it's air force academy which was a recent one or, or what have you but i mean that's a real issue uh that i don't think people are aware of similarly to the suicide epidemic that's going on um, in general with veterans. So uh, I think a lot of it is military sexual trauma in terms of women. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of men, I, I think, um, you know, a lot of that is, um, you know, at least in, in my opinion, from what I've seen, it is battle related uh, or people who have been out on the front lines um, a lot of times. But uh, that's not, I don't want to accept, I want to say that everybody falls under those umbrellas for each sex because you know I could think of a good friend of mine who's in the program right now and she you know she's dealing with a traumatic brain injury from her time in Iraq and getting hit with an IED so you know it it varies with each person but you know it is you know you you, as much as people don't want to have to group things like or put people in, in boxes and I get that but you do find a lot of times if you look at the stats of what people are coming in from, and I would say on each, on each uh, one that it would probably be something around that. Yeah, you know, uh, one of the things you brought up early, talking about trauma on top of trauma, you know, uh, um, the the amount of um, a, a lot of people going to the military have had already so much abuse from their childhood. And yeah, going to the military and they haven't even dealt with their childhood stuff. And yeah. now they're dealing with the military stuff, and and then they get out, and now with this stuff in the child is even tenfold, right? I would imagine, yeah. and that's why, yeah, and that's why um, you know mentioned earlier, I said you know new wounds up against old wounds because that's a that's a real thing, you know. Um, a lot of times you're dealing with like, these traumatic things, whether it's abuse, whether it's sexual abuse, or what have you. People dealing with that kind of stuff from their their childhood, and then as you said, you know they're bringing that into the military. And then that only compounds when, you know, you're sending those same people to Iraq and they're out on the front lines or whatever, you know, what have you. And that stuff just like builds and it's just, you try to compartmentalize it, you try to suppress it, but eventually that comes out. Like you can only do that for so long before that comes out. Um, And I think that's why it's important for programs like Headshot because, you know, when people finally, you know, reach that tipping point, they, they got to turn somewhere and they need help. And so we're really feeling that gap in that void in the market with what we do. And um, the fact that uh, it comes at cost free and it comes at, uh, it's confidential as well. So, you know, we, we even deal, and I mentioned that because we even deal with people who are kind of transitioning out of the military and already know that they want to get help. But they can't go to their unit and say, hey, I'm dealing with these mental health issues because, you know, there's still that stigma. So, right. um, you know, the fact that they can turn to us, like that's where we're really feeling the gap and why we're, I feel like we're so important to, uh, you know, helping people 
get through a lot of these issues that they deal with. You know, I talked to an Uber driver, um, and I didn't know this, and 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 I don't know if you can speak to this. <laughs> There's always two ways that that statement can yeah, talk to Uber driver. Yeah, it's like yeah, this this guy. Yeah, he um he said that there are different levels of PTSD. There's like mm-hmm. level one, two, three, or f- and four, I believe. And mm-hmm. he said depending on how you're diagnosed with the PTSD depends on type of work you can get once you get out of the military. So somebody with like the most extreme diagnosis with PTSD, then uh, for, I think they can't work with people in public or service jobs. So I can see that as being a hindrance for military vets wanting to be getting seen because now it could affect the, the work or money they can make. Yeah, yeah. And so they classify that too because like, when you get out, you, if you file for disability, mm-hmm. you get a certain amount depending on what your, your disability rating is. So if you get 30%, you get this amount of money. If you get 50%, 60%, you get a different amount of money. So like, that's the reason they classify it. But at the end of the day, like PTSD is PTSD. So like, for us, you could be one through four and it's like, you know, like it's still PTSD and falls under the umbrella of like, PTSD and that, you know, if somebody wants to get help, you know, they, they should be able to get help, depend, regardless of, like, whether they're um, one level or another. Right on, brother. But, yeah, they do that as a classification for, like, other things in terms of getting out. Like this Finances. Okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah, I mean, it's the thing. Yeah, it's like get help no matter what the, the cost is because uh, not getting help, the, the cost is, it could be, you know, your life, you know. So. Yeah. Definitely, and and like that's like that's the thing. Like that's why I tell people now. Like whenever they ask about, especially people from back home, because if I mention therapy, like I said, it's always like, "What's wrong with you?" Um, But that's why I tell people like, it doesn't matter the stigma, or doesn't matter what other people uh, are gonna look at you, because at the end of the day, you're the one that has to live with yourself. And if you're dealing with all these issues, and you're having to turn to alcohol, you're having to turn to drugs, or or you're turning to like these other forms of ways to to cope with what you're dealing with. Like that's not at the end of the day, that's not healthy. So, you know, going to Headstrong or just getting mental health treatment in general is a, is a great thing because it allows you to take that pressure off yourself. And that's what you know. If you want to be healthy and if you want to be happy, like that's that's the key. Is really admitting that you need help because we all need help in one form or another, um, you know? And so like, that's why uh, I think it's so important to, to admit that, you know, you, you do need help, we all need help. And that getting mental health treatment is just another, another normal way of going about dealing with some stuff that, that we all go through. Matt, thank you so much. At the end of every episode, I always, I always assume that there's always one person listening in who's on the cusp of uh, completing suicide. Mm-hmm. And we understand you're not a therapist, but before you kill yourself, what would you say to that person? Before you kill yourself, um, I would tell you, I've been in that situation, uh, personally. I've been in that situation uh, where I wanted to take my life. Uh, I was staring down at a gun, thinking about doing that. And um, uh, luckily, I didn't end up doing that because I thought about all the people that were hurt and I took the selfishness out of that situation 
and made it about other other people. Um, but I would tell you, like, there are better days ahead. And like at my lowest moments, I thought that I was about to be homeless. I thought that there's no way I could go through life after uh, you know going through this divorce and, and be happy and that no one else would want me. And we put these pressures on ourselves that you know committing suicide is somehow the easy way out but um you know to really truly enjoy life and to really and truly uh get the fruits that life has to offer sometimes you have to go through through um hard days or hard times but that only makes those times when, when things are great and that you are able to turn life around that much better um experiencing where I'm at right now compared to where I've been in life. Like I truly have a, um, like I, I would say that I, I'm maybe the happiest I've ever been um, because I, I am able to persist through those bad days and, and I was able to get help. And now I'm at a point in my life where, you know, I'm, I'm doing fulfilling work I'm chasing my dreams in comedy. I'm doing all this stuff, but it's all because I didn't quit and I didn't give up and I didn't ultimately uh, commit that mistake of committing suicide. So those days are ahead, I think, for really anybody who wants to have them, as long as you're willing to, um, you know, ask for help. Man, thank you so much, Matt, for sharing that. How can, what, what's the easiest way for people to, to reach out to Headstrong or contact you or what, what are the, uh, and I'll put yeah, so, the show notes. No, and I appreciate that, Leo. Um, for any, yeah, anybody who wants to get help and wants to reach out to us and, and even if you just want to learn more about what you do, maybe you're not ready to take that step. Um, you can find us at getheadstrong.org. Uh, it's our website and it'll tell you more about where we are, uh, how the program works. Um, and give you kind of the basics and fundamentals for what we do. Um, and then if you want to follow us uh, on social, uh, we're always posting like good content in terms of like, uh, you know, veterans that we've worked with. We do a storytelling series called the Facing Stigma series, and it's about vets who are opening up and, and telling their stories and, and hardships uh, all across the board from every branch of service to every gender to, to everything. So, um, and you can find us on, on uh, Instagram at Get Headstrong, uh, on Twitter at Headstrong Proj, uh, P R O J, and then on Facebook at The Headstrong Project. Obviously, that's confusing for <laughs> many because <t> <laughs> it's all three different handles, but uh, you know that people already scoop those up. So that's where you can find us there. Matt, thank you so much uh, for being a part of this, for sharing your story. Uh, for the listeners out there, I appreciate you all listening in. But remember that listening to this podcast is not a substitute for you uh, contacting Headstrong, for you calling 1-800-SUICIDE or 1-800-273-TALK, uh, for getting help, for calling somebody, call an enemy, call, call, call Apple customer service, call someone, someone's there to listen and wants to hear your story. Um, and thank you for rating it uh, five stars on iTunes. Thank you for sharing it and, and leaving comments. We love all of that. And you could always email me uh, at info at uh, 
before you kill yourself uh, at or before you kill yourself at gmail.com. Uh, and we will talk to you soon. Yes.